The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15 on the program, we're going to talk about uh, pornography research. Does porn make people more violent? Does it cause addiction? Does it cause erectile dysfunction? We'll get the real lowdown from a porn researcher and professor of psychology after 10.15. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Remember, you can always email me to laurie at drlaurie.com. Here goes one. I'd like to ask you something. I usually have anal sex within my couple, well, more like three or more times a week, but I don't use a condom. So my doubt is, are there high chances to get any STDs? We've done this for like one year already, and she doesn't have any type of STD, and we were fine till now, and we are still fine. Also, I always finish out of her, but I'm a bit afraid of pregnancy, yet still nothing happened. But I don't know. I'm really afraid of that. When we have sex, I always use a condom, and when we finish, I always fill it up with water to check if something went wrong. Yet I'm still afraid if something can happen. This terrifies me, honestly, and I can't keep calm. Uh, Any tips? Uh, We tried anal with condom, but we pretty much hate it. All right, so first of all, if both of you are only having sex with each other and you've both been tested prior to uh, being sexual with each other, you just want to make sure that you didn't bring in any infection from any previous relationships, then it's uh, certainly not likely that you're going to get an STD from vaginal, vaginal or anal sex with your partner. You cannot get pregnant from anal intercourse. However, if you ejaculate near the vagina or if the ejaculate dribbles down toward the vaginal opening, then there is a very, very slight possibility of that happening. Okay, so you'd want to ejaculate far away from the vaginal opening, basically. Um, As for filling up the condom with water, it's really... Uh, not necessary. Usually you could tell if the condom has broken. It, it like when it breaks, it really breaks. It's not like there's a pinprick of a, like a little hole or something, uh, unless, you know, your cat's been playing around with it and putting nails through it or something like that. So that's unlikely to happen through the packaging, of course. Um, but you could discuss with your partner another method of contraception. Maybe she would be open to, let's say, uh, the birth control pill. And that probably will make you feel a whole lot less anxious about uh, getting pregnant. Uh, I know a lot of people who have this fear of pregnancy um you know, sometimes it causes so much anxiety that they have trouble even performing sometimes. So I think it's important that you both discuss all the different options out there of, uh, of birth control. If she doesn't want to be on anything hormonal, she can ask her doctor about getting an IUD put in as well. So that's also a possibility. 514-800, if you, uh, if you have a question or even you want to add to uh, any of the answers I'm giving out here, then uh, you're always most welcome, 514-800. Uh, friends with benefits, how do I get one? I can't really find friends who are interested in it 
Maybe it's because I'm 20, but I also don't know where to go or what to do to find and attract any women interested. Well, it's hard for me to say how, where, what, but I guess the best way to find a sexual partner is to use an app or go online where you create a profile and just make it very clear that you are only looking for a sexual relationship rather than a romantic one. So just make your your wants obvious and well-known and, uh, and, and see what happens. But really, it's like... <laughs> You're going to have to find someone who also wants the same thing, just a friend and, and uh, just to have sex with, but doesn't is not interested in having anything more. So if anybody else has any ideas, where can this person find a friend with benefits, then um, let's help them out. 514-800. We are trying to have kids. I am ejaculating much quicker than my girlfriend. We are worried if I have premature ejaculation or my girlfriend has late, late orgasm, can you tell us that whether we can have kids only if both orgasm together at the same time, does the timing of ejaculation matter to conceive? So, um, no, the timing has nothing to do with conception. Certainly the timing of her orgasm has nothing to do with conception um, female orgasm. No, not about that. Uh, it doesn't even matter if she climaxes or, uh, or doesn't climax for a partner to get pregnant. Only the man would have to ejaculate inside the vagina, whether it takes 30 seconds or 20 minutes. Uh, as long as the ejaculation is, uh, is inside, then that's how a person becomes pregnant. Now there is research to show that, um, when females, uh, do orgasm and after either after or around the same time as the man ejaculates that there is a, uh, like a, a it's called like tenting. Basically there's like a suction in the contraction that happens that may make conception easier because it would, um, there'd be less travel time, let's say, uh, from, uh, the sperm all the way up. So there is some, there is some truth to that. Um, but again, I haven't really seen any, uh, comparative studies, you know, in terms of, of fertility and orgasm and things like that. So not quite sure. Uh, text writes, easy to find a fr- friends with benefits, but be very, very, selective adult friend finder is your best bet. So there you go. Adult friend finder. So that's, I'm assuming that is not a dating site, but simply a site to find, uh, sex partners. Thank you for that. 514-800. Why is my girlfriend extremely rarely in the mood for sex? We have been dating for about two years now, and we have had feelings for each other much before that. We have each, uh, we have known each other since kindergarten. Now we are both in our early twenties. Our relationship is going along just fine. We haven't had any major issues between us, but she never seems to be in the mood for sex. And I mean, we do it once every two months. I make time for her, make her nice surprises. And I'm always there when she needs me. I'm starting to think that I'm just abysmal in bed. What could I be doing wrong? 
So first of all, you sound like you're being a wonderful partner to uh, your girlfriend. I'm going to say, I believe, of course, without all the details, I'm just guessing here, but her lack of desire is probably unlikely related to how good you are in bed. There could be very many reasons for somebody's reluctance to engage in sex. It might include her feelings about sex, maybe. Um, Maybe she grew up in a home where sex was sinful, maybe especially around premarital sex. Maybe that's interfering with her enjoyment of sex. Uh, We have to remember that sexual desire can be quite complex with lots of issues interfering with it, including what I just talked about before, like fear of pregnancy. So it's really important for both of you to have open discussions about sexuality. See how she uh, truly feels. Make sure you approach the subject with compassion rather than uh, blame and really try to understand what's going on um, in her head. If it's something that you are doing or not doing in bed, she's the only one who has to tell you what works or doesn't work for her. And sometimes you have to discover that together, especially if you're each other's only, um, only partner. Coming up, we'll talk about pornography, the real scoop, the real deal on pornography research and its impact on, uh, on, on us in terms of aggression, addiction, etc. That's uh, coming up. After- A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. You know, pornography has, uh, seems to have become the default source of blame these days for any and all sexual problems, as well as a, a cause for sexual aggression when you uh, hear um, some of the studies, especially in, uh, in, in popular media, we forget that often these articles uh, are uh, from anti-porn advocacy organizations. And I really, we wanted to get the real deal here tonight on uh, pornography research. Does it really make people more violent? Does it cause addiction? Does it cause erectile dysfunction? Well, here to help us answer a lot of these questions is uh, Dr. Chris Ferguson, who's a professor of psychology at Stetson University, who did some research with colleagues on uh, where they examined more than 50 different studies looking at just the association between pornography and sexual aggression done in the last 40 years. Dr. Ferguson, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me on tonight. It's a pleasure. Great. Now, uh, okay, I want to hear what you found because that's the big question, right? What does the research tell us about uh, pornography or the use of pornography and uh, leading to sexual aggression? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, this has obviously been a question that's been kicked around for really quite a while, going really back to the 1970s when porn became more widely available in uh, in Western society. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, we've looked at these studies that date back all the way to the 1970s, and, and there certainly is a mixture between them. I mean, you find some studies that, you know, find effects or at least claim to find effects. You have some studies that did not find effects. But, uh, you know, on balance, we found that overall, with these studies combined in this kind of meta-analysis, as we call it, that largely the evidence is unable to support the idea that pornography consumption is linked in a substantive way to uh, sexual uh, aggression. And, and one of the things that's actually kind of interesting that we found is that if you look at the sort of 
societal data, if you look at kind of like patterns in terms of like when countries uh, sort of made pornography more widely available, you tend to see a general pattern that sexual aggression actually goes down uh, in those societies at the at the same time. So overall, at least the evidence suggested that consuming pornography or at least kind of what you might might think of as mainstream pornography uh, is not associated with any kind of uh, of sexual aggression, or at least the evidence we have right now can't support this very common claim that pornography is associated with sexual aggression. But isn't it interesting how so much of the research is cherry-picked from the (laughs) anti-porn organizations? It's like, aha, Here's a study on 20 men, and uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's a, it, obviously it's an emotionally and morally evocative issue, right? You know, yeah. There, there are uh, you know people who are very wound up on this particular topic, you know, and there even are scholars that are pretty wound up on this particular topic. So it's always kind of interesting, you know, would you know our results, you know, get posted on the internet or Twitter or something like that. Some of the reactions we get, you know, to it, and and. Uh, um, you know, some people really almost, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, I, I guess probably you could say their worldview is kind of dedicated to this idea that right. porn and sexual aggression are associated with each other. I, I wouldn't want to say that they would want that thing to be true necessarily, but they certainly are, are right. ad, uh, adamant believers in that uh, con- in that concept. So you right. definitely get this sense of, in some cases, you know, studies are cherry picked uh, by certain organizations. You know, in some cases. Studies that have fairly weak or maybe mixed results sometimes are oversold as having produced more clear evidence for effects than they actually did. Uh, Sometimes scholars themselves are responsible for (laughs) exaggerating, Mm -hmm. you know, the findings of their own studies um, and such. But, uh, yeah, that is is definitely one of the tricks when you look at really kind of like any emotionally or morally evocative subject is because people's worldviews get – you know, so wound up into it, it's harder sometimes to distinguish where you've got good evidence as opposed to where mm-hmm. you've just got, you know, sort of a predetermined conclusion that some people really, really want to be true right. uh, for one reason or another. Which know? is why uh, meta-analyses by uh, professionals is so important, like to be able as a researcher to go through the the research that's actually that has validity, you know that that uh, isn't just uh, just. I mean, there's so much bad research out there too. But nonetheless, right. there was one piece of research that I found really interesting, a pretty large sample size uh, where they were looking at attitudes towards women because that's one uh-huh. thing that people say you know creates misogynistic attitudes towards women. And it was a uh, like a survey done at a um, adult and entertainment expo so they were looking at super fans like super porn Uh fans and they found that they uh, these super porn super fans were no more sexist or misogynistic than the general uh, U.S. uh, public so and that in fact they held more progressive gender role attitudes than the general public (laughs) so (laughs) yeah I've seen a few of those studies which you know are probably counterintuitive for you know what a lot of people would imagine but yeah there there is some evidence to suggest that uh uh, you know, men who consume, again, so we may think of it as being mainstream pornography, you know, uh, seem to have more egalitarian attitudes towards women than, than men who, who don't. You know, and again, that's probably mixed up into a lot of, you know, other things, you mm-hmm. know, that it's 
most of this is, is correlational data, so exactly. we can't necessarily say that you know foreign cause exactly this, uh, to, uh, have occurred. But uh, you know, in terms of like if, if this is something we're really worried about, we you know correlation doesn't equal causation, but a lack of a correlation you know certainly hints <laughs> towards there not being any causation. Exactly. Uh, so you know, in terms of like worrying about this, you know, causing you know, people's attitudes towards women to change in a negative way. The evidence, again, at this point, does not seem to support, support it, um, right. that conclusion, which we, historically was shared both by sort of religious conservatives and by at least some um, feminists who are not all feminists, but some feminists on the left kind of made the same argument, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, going back to the 80s. Um, and that, that doesn't seem to be supported at the moment by, by good data. Have you, uh, did you hear about the Quebec researchers who tried to do uh, research on um, comparing people who had watched porn and people who hadn't, and and they couldn't find anybody who hadn't watched porn? <laughs> they, they actually abandoned their research because they couldn't get a control group? That, that sounds about right. I mean, if you look at, you know, these sort of like anonymous surveys of young men, you know, you find that, you know, overwhelmingly. That's right. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, young men have at some point, you know, viewed, you know, at least occasionally some, you know, pornography. And, and again, that's, that's one of the, I think, easy kind of pushbacks against when we see, you know, politicians and legislators and, and whatever, you know, talking about. So I don't know if this reached up into Canada, but in, in the U.S. we have, I think, at my last count, 16 states have declared pornography to be a, a public, you know, quote-unquote public health crisis, you know, and they're usually conservative states. You know, of course, of, and, and, and those states have the most viewership. That's the that's they the do. funny part about it. You know, yeah, the, and, and it's also, you know, I get the sense of, like, you know, come, you know, it's mostly male politicians that are, you know, sort of advocating for these uh you know, they have no teeth. It's just a declaration. It doesn't really change anything. But, you know, you have to think, like, I mean, clearly the majority of these gentlemen who are, you know, voting for this legislation and declaring porn to be a public health crisis are probably consuming porn oh, in yeah. their personal lives. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's like those who are the politicians who are homophobic and trying to put out legislation against this, that, and the other, and then you discover yeah. that they really are, you know, they, they've been closeted and such. So, of course, we, we know this to be true now. Uh, Dr. Chris Ferguson <laughs> is my guest. He is a professor of psychology at Stetson University, did a, a big meta-analysis of uh, looking at uh, pornography use and sexual aggression, the link between the two. So that we talked about the mainstream porn, but there's also, I and mean, there's so much, so many different kinds of porn. And of course there's some that are more violent than others, more demeaning to women than others. Uh-huh. What about the research um, about the consumers of violent porn? Yeah, that's a great question as well. And, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, at this point with the internet, of course, there's, something out there for everybody, you know, and being able to access some very strange stuff is, you know, much easier than it was in the, in the seventies and eighties, you know? Um, and it's actually, actually kind of interesting if you go back. So there's also this question of like, what even is violent? What do we mean by violent porn? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think most people have this kind of, you know, intuitive perception that we're talking about some sort of like depiction of a rape or there's some kind of physical assault that's occurring in context, you know, with, mm-hmm. uh, with the sexual activity, you know, uh, which most of us would find to be quite reprehensible. But, um, 
you know, if you go back to these early studies from like the 80s, they actually had so much difficulty finding any examples of what we might think of as being, which it just wasn't available back then. Right. You know, so, so they used R-rated slasher movies oftentimes. <laughs> so if you kind of look at these old studies of quote-unquote violent porn, they use like Friday the 13th. You know, right, which, right. You know, you know, it wasn't X-rated stuff, but of course, you know, it would be like, you know, a, a young teenage couple would go have sex somewhere and then they get murdered. You know? Right, um, right. Or you'd see boobs like, or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. And they did this because they couldn't find any, you know, violent porn. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, of course, you, you know, the Internet is this wide, dark place and you can find all kinds of, of, of strange things. And it's more available to, to find that. But we still have these kind of problems with the definition. So you find in a lot of studies, they'll... they'll They'll define violent porn wider than probably most people mm-hmm. would in the sense of, you know, essentially if a couple are having sex that's consenting and one or the other, you know, just gives the other person a, a, a swat, like a spanking, you know, right. that's consenting, you know. So BDSM, so BDSM porn <laughs> yeah. would be considered violent porn, but yet you have so many people who are right. into into kink. Uh, Dr. Ferguson, just hang out with us a bit more. I, we, there's lots to get through here, and it's such a fascinating topic to me. Uh, Dr. Chris Ferguson is uh, with us. He is a professor of psychology and a researcher as well in this the effects of uh, pornography. And coming up, of course, what's very interesting to me, uh, being in this uh, industry of sexuality, is um, erectile dysfunction and does porn play a part in erectile dysfunction. That's coming up next after we check in with our CJAD 800 newsroom. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJAD 800. My guest tonight is uh, Dr. Chris Ferguson, a professor of psychology at Stetson University. We're discussing pornography and the the real deal, really, the research. And what does the research say uh, about the effects of pornography on uh, on violence, on rape, on uh, on sexual dysfunction, on addiction? We're trying to unpack all of that tonight with uh, with Dr. Ferguson. Well, I have a couple of texts here to share with you, uh, Dr. Ferguson. Um, this one says a study was done with convicted rapists in Calif- convicted rapists in California at the advent of the internet. These convicts claimed they had it as a fantasy, then saw pictures in books. Then when video became available on the net, it was the go-to place to watch. The only step left was to engage in it. Many claimed had they not got to stage three viewing rape videos, they would have not had committed rape. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that, but. Well, I mean, it's always kind of interesting. You see, you know, people sometimes refer to convicted criminals as anecdotal evidence to support it. Mm-hmm. Some people just with, with Ted Bundy quite a bit, too, with, with pornography back when uh, he was, uh, you know, initially convicted of, um, you know, multiple murders in Florida. Um, the, the, the issue with this is we're assuming that people who have been convicted of serious felony crimes are now telling us the truth, uh, particularly related to an issue that we would reasonably suspect them to want to defer blame from themselves onto something else. Right. Um, so, you know, r- rapists say it wasn't me that went done it. It was the <laughs> videos that I watched or something of that sort. Right. The porn it, you know, made me do it. <laughs> basically. Right. It's a fairly common defense. 
Um, usually it is not successful uh, in you know the courts, and we should not take it terribly seriously uh, scientifically either. I mean, again, mm-hmm. you do find these kind of like back and forths in some of the literature about um, you know whether either convicted sex offenders or people who in anonymous surveys disclose that they engage in a sexual offense, you know, consume more or less pornography. It appears that, you know, in terms of the, you know, the research we looked at in our meta-analysis that across these studies, once again, there was no correlation between the viewing of, of mainstream pornography and uh, sexual offending. So simply watching nude adults or watching adults having consenting sex did not seem to be related to an increased you know, likelihood of engaging mm-hmm. in sexual crimes. Um, what we did find was a small correlation between individuals who had committed sexual crimes and viewership of violent pornography. But which that came first? Was, I'm sorry, say again. <laughs> which came first, right? It's well, like, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. It is a correlation. Yeah, so we don't know which, yeah, so it could be that, uh, you know, individuals who view more violent porn, you know, do have an acceleration, you know, of their behavior. It could also be that individuals who are sex offenders enjoy more violent porn. Exactly. You know? so we don't really know the direction of the correlation mm-hmm. in that. And it, and it was a much smaller correlation than, than, than we expected, and I think that, you know, most other people would expect, hmm. um, you know, as well. So there was no clear evidence of causality right. uh, and, in uh, in that data. And believe me, if that was a cause, we'd see so much more of it. When you mm-hmm. think about all the viewers, you know, if, if most of the population views at some point pornography, uh, you would find far more. Um, uh-huh. numbers for sure. So this text writes, uh, Dr. Lori, someone told me quite a while ago that Montreal has a lower percentage of rape than the rest of Canada. And he linked this to the abundance of our strip clubs. Would this make sense? Now, I don't know if you know Montreal, but we have a lot of strip clubs and they are <laughs> like, we, and we're, it's not American strip clubs. Like these are lap dancing and yeah. we've had that for, for years and years. Um, so I think there that could that would fit with the uh, the research, like the lower crime rates and the lower rates of sexual aggression as mm. pornography has become more easily available. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so I'll have to remember that Montreal is the strip club capital of the world. I'll repeat that whenever I can. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so you do kind of find, even with this kind of like research on like red light districts, you, you do kind of find some of the same data there that there's, there's an association between, you know, strip clubs and pornography with reductions in, you know, sexual assault in those areas. And again, it, it's correlational data. So it, it does appear to be pretty strong data. So the correlation between pornography and reduced sexual offending uh, are, 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 are not trivial. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. fairly large correlations. Um, but of course it, it is still a correlation, so we don't necessarily know why, you know, that, and right. you know, it's entirely possible that sort of like a broader liberalizing trend could result in both more egalitarian attitudes towards women, including, you know, better protections from for women from, you know, sexual crimes, so greater deterrence. And at the same time, might also lead to greater acceptance of pornography. You know, so it's, right. we don't know that they're necessarily causally linked with each other as opposed to there being sort of a general liberalizing trend right um which again you know if, if, there's, there's also the sense of if it ain't broke don't fix it you know uh, right. so 
you know, if if pushing towards you know, criminalizing pornography, which tends to come from the right. Again, there are some exceptions, you know, like, yeah, you know, some feminists argue for the same thing. But uh, if there is this kind of push towards reducing sort of the uh, acceptability of pornography, that might come again with restrictions on women's rights, you know, egalitarianism and that kind of stuff as well, coming from the same group of individuals who want to see a more traditional conservative, you know, mm. role based, you know, kind of gender role based kind of, uh, you know, culture as well. So, exactly. um, you know, as long as we're seeing the correlations in the, in the cor- correct direction, direction we want to see them go in, uh, I would be hesitant to tamper with them, you know, without us knowing what we're doing. Right. <laughs> and exactly. we, we don't. <laughs> One of the yeah, things that though, point. that gets a lot of uh, news or at least that we hear uh, and people talk about this a lot has to do with erectile dysfunction, especially mm-hmm. in younger, uh, younger, the younger population and the claim that pornography is somehow responsible. So what's the research on that? What does that say? Yeah, I mean, it's always funny. We used to complain about, like, young people having too much sex, and now we're complaining about not having enough sex. Uh, so it is funny <laughs> how things true. change, you know, over, <laughs> over, over time. Um, yeah, so um, I, I think this is an example, again, of, 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 you know, like you mentioned, occasionally a study will come out that will find something that's sort of headline-grabbing, and people that are advocates for a particular cause will kind of seize on it and highlight it, and then, like, 15 other studies will come out contradicting the first one and nobody hears about those. And I, and I think that's kind of what happened with the porn and erectile dysfunctioning claim. You know, mm-hmm. the, the research I'm familiar with in that area would suggest that that belief that pornography leads to erectile dysfunctioning is, is largely dead from a scientific perspective. Okay. I mean, it's not to say there are no studies that find that. Again, I think there probably were a few initial studies that hinted towards some kind of correlation once again. Uh, between these things. But in subsequent studies that have come out, the majority of them have not found evidence to verify this idea that there was either a correlation or a causal relationship mm. between pornography viewing and uh, erectile dysfunctioning. Yeah, so, so there doesn't appear to be good evidence to uh, support that. And I, I think for some time now, we've known that there was not good evidence for that particular right. belief. It- um, yet it gets raised quite a bit. I think because it's frightening. You know, I, I think it, sure you, know, you you're you're yeah. trying to shame people or scare people into not watching. Yeah. I think that's the thing. But there have been a few. There was one really large study um, with uh, in Croatia, Norwegian, and Portuguese men of like four thousand mm. subjects, and they found very little evidence of an association between pornography use and and any kind of uh, sexual health disturbances in in younger men. So there have been some good, uh, solid yeah. research done that does not point to that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to find in any particular studies it going the other way somewhere. But mm-hmm. overall, I think is what we're trying to say is um, that overall it is not – it doesn't cause it. Um, again, yeah. it doesn't mean it doesn't affect people. It doesn't uh, – for, for some, yes, but for the vast majority of, uh, of watchers – uh, absolutely not. Uh, Dr. Chris uh-huh. Ferguson is my guest. Uh, we're talking about uh, pornography research. Coming up, the big question everybody wants to know about porn addiction. Is it a thing or is it not a thing? Uh, maybe we can answer that question. Maybe, maybe uh, with Dr. Chris Ferguson. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. 
fascinating discussion tonight with Dr. Chris Ferguson, a professor of psychology at Stetson University on uh, pornography research and what it says. Uh, Dr. Ferguson, this uh, text wrote in, I'm no authority, but I personally think porn viewed by young teens will likely cause excessive masturbation, which may cause performance issues later on with women and same for mature men as well who may get addicted to porn. Now, the word cause, again, is interesting because teenagers compulsively masturbate anyway. Yeah. This was happening before <laughs> porn was around. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I, I was going to ask what, 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 is, what, what counts as excessive like, masturbation necessarily. Right. To a teenager, I mean, right? It is it 20 times? <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it, you know, I guess in the middle of class or something, then that, that would definitely count as excessive. But yeah, I, yeah there, again, there's, there's, there's a three-part linkage there between porn, masturbation, and, and difficulty with women, and, and I, I don't think there's really good evidence for any part of that, that link. You know, so either that porn necessarily increases the frequency of masturbation or that masturbation itself is linked to problems with women later on. Exactly. Um, I, I don't think we have data for, for you know, uh, any part of that linked uh, chain that we need to worry about. But we do need to talk about porn addiction because, first of all, um, it is not in a, in, in the, the DSM, so it is not considered mm-hmm. a thing. Um, we have compulsive, yes, compulsive um, sexuality, that's in there, but porn addiction itself is not considered a disorder so what's the deal on that and and maybe you can uh, illuminate for us a little bit yeah well i mean the, the concept of porn addiction again tends to be kind of a assumed thing particularly on sort of the you know conservative right you know the religious conservative mm-hmm. um you know movement and such so it, it's talked about a lot but it, it is not an official you know diagnosis and it depends on really what you kind of mean by it you know so it's something that sounds scary, but is ill-defined. You know, so if you kind of like take the perspective that a small percentage of individuals can overdo almost anything, That's you know, right. and, mm-hmm. you know, you can look, you can find cat addicts, you know, I mean, you, can, you, know, you know, just Google cat hoarder, you know, and you'll find, I mean, I'm not even kidding. I mean, this is, this is, this is real, you know, this is not, not, not a joke, uh, but, you know, so you kind of have this perspective that, you know, a small number of people can overdo almost anything, you know, and we do actually have research papers on fishing addiction and, oh, and dance geez. addiction. Yeah. yeah, well, we yeah, know video, so... video game addictions and um, even music. I've met music addicts, you yeah. know, who are collectors of all kinds of music stuff. And that's true. And there's the argument, too, that those who may view more porn have higher sex drives so mm-hmm. why are, yeah. are we pathologizing those people who have simply a higher sex drive yeah absolutely I mean, and really the, the take-home thing here is that you know the, to the extent that some people may overdo pornography or video games or fishing or cats you know it's, it's nothing like heroin or alcohol or cocaine you know it doesn't work in the same mechanisms as, as those sorts of things so we really kind of need to like divorce this conversation from talking about substance abuse and really look at these kind of like behavioral overuse disorders as their own category exactly. of, of thing. And they're, and they're very, very controversial. You know, and even when we talk about like video game addiction or things like that, it's a very, very controversial you know, concept. And the evidence we have suggests that it's really these things are not things that are inherently addictive in the same sense that like heroin is. You mm-hmm, know, it, it's mm-hmm. really more that 
certain individuals you know, have difficulty moderating their behavior because they already have depression exactly. or they already have anxiety or they exactly. have other issues that are going on in their lives. And exactly. they turn to these pleasant things for them that are just overindulgences. So they're just sort of like hard to get back to real life for them. You know, so it's really a more nuanced, you know, kind of issue that's really a corollary of pre-existing mental illnesses rather than what you might find with, you know, uh, you know, it's at least plausible that, you know, someone who's otherwise psychologically healthy, if they're given heroin every day, are going to develop a dependence on Right. Um, but and not we don't some... see that with... Exactly. Sorry, you don't see that with pornography. It's not, it's not the same thing, which would mean that by viewing porn, you risk the chance of becoming addicted to it. But that's not, that's not at all what the research is showing. Correct. You know, there's, right. it's sort of like, you know, you know, we can kind of talk about you know, moderate use of porn or moderate use of video games or, or anything else. And we would really talk about, like, moderate use of, you know, heroin, you know, so like a healthy dose of, of daily heroin use or that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You know? So it clearly is this, you know, very different category of, uh, you know, of, of issues here. You know? Yeah, and as, so, one, as yeah. one texter wrote, is it possible to have an addictive personality which will get you addicted to things easily? Exactly. There's something else yeah. going on. Uh, whether it's pornography or something else you get addicted to, it has it's far more complex anyway than simply you watch porn, watch out because you may get addicted. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Especially an avoidance strategy, you know. So people that are you know have difficulties in their real lives may turn to fun things, you know, uh, or or at least pleasant things uh, in their hobbies or, or whatever. I guess you really wouldn't call pornography a hobby, but you know what I mean. You know, For some, yeah. Things that are sort of, <laughs> <laughs> things that are sort of uh, indulgences, I suppose, you know, uh, and because they dread going back to real life, they overindulge in that thing. But it's really not that that like porn has this like inherent quality that makes it right. addictive, right. you know, in the, in the same way heroin does. Right. Otherwise, you would have far more addicts in the world of pornography when you're talking about I don't even know how many billions of 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 views yeah. like just one site has you know a hundred million views a day uh yeah. you know different people so that would be a lot of uh, of addicts which we all, we yeah. know it's a much much smaller number now in the states there's a move towards or or talk around criminalizing pornography what's that about yeah, it mostly comes with the uh, Republican National Convention. So in the last few election cycles, the uh, you know Republican National Party has at least had a plank uh, where they promised to look into criminalization of what most of us would consider consider being mainstream, mm-hmm. um, you know, pornography. And again, I think that's uh, you know a nod to the religious conservative element of, again, of their yeah. um, their tent. Um, and occasionally they sort of, you know, but during the Bush years, they, they went after, uh, I think, like Girls Gone Wild and a, and a few other producers that, you know, uh, probably engaged in, at the very least, some unethical, perhaps illegal behavior in terms of, like, you know, solicitation of minors and things like that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, fair enough. I mean, that's. Okay, I those that that's criminalized. Yes, we criminalize that, yeah. of course. No, no, nobody's feeling bad about that. Exactly. Sort of thing, but. But for the most part, I mean, the First Amendment protections that, you know, pornography in, enjoys in the United States is largely making those efforts, you know, futile. Um, mm-hmm. So it, there, there really isn't a legal case, I think, for the most part right now 
for the criminalization of, of pornography. And really kind of like the, the Supreme Court uh, standard on that is the sense of, uh, you know, it's the Miller test, which is basically this idea of like, what would the typical person view as obscene, you know? And mm-hmm. so there again, you know, things like child pornography and, and certain like you know, reality and things like mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, most most people are, are would consider those things to be obscene, but you know, the very fact that a majority of of people, male certainly, and, and a non-trivial percentage of females, are viewing nudes or consenting adults having sex, argues that these things are not obscene. You know, uh, the community standard apparently is accepting. You know, of these right. by very virtue of how many people view it. But you, um, what's so interesting and what's so fascinating to me is how the conservative-leaning states consume far more pornography on average than <laughs> the liberal states. That's what's so fascinating. Well, I have this argument that you know, I, I sort of like looking at both parties. I always think of like, what, what you know, what could each party drop, you know, in order to like widen their appeal and, and just get mm-hmm. rid of these like anchor issues. And I, and I kind of think for like the Republicans, you know, I, mean, I think there's a lot of things they could drop, but you know, this is definitely one that. <laughs> I, I don't think they would lose their religious conservatives over this because they have other issues like abortion and stuff like that that are probably bigger issues for them. Um, and on the other hand, they they would lose. I mean, it's just so easy. It, it, it's, a, it's almost like a joke, right? You know, that yeah. conservative states like Utah is like number one. That, exactly. You know, are against yeah, are against pornography, <laughs> but but are consuming it in, in larger numbers than you know, liberal states. You know. It's just funny, you know, so it's like, like doesn't get it, rid of that. Doesn't it make you <laughs> wonder what Trump's personal views on pornography are? I, I well, loved I mean, he's, it. He's alleged to have had relationships with porn stars. So exactly. And that's why I say that, you know, I mean, me, you know, again, I use, use the word alleged, but, you know, I, I, I think that the conservatives would forgive Republicans for getting rid of this plank of the national, you know, platform, you know, as long as it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Anyway, I know I'm talking in terms of strategy. Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Dr. Ferguson, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I want to thank you. If people, if our listeners want more information about your research and such, is there any place they can go? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They can just go to my website, which is just my name. It's not very original. It's just Christopher J. Ferguson, uh, all together, dot com. Okay. And uh, they can look me up there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was uh, really fun. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. It was great being on tonight. <laughs> all right. It. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Oh, that was uh, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you all for uh, listening and uh, thank you for your text messages tonight. Really appreciate it. I want to thank our technical producer, Dave Simon, as well. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, uh, drlori.com, where we will post this podcast and you've got all the past shows as well uh, that are there. You just have to go to the Passion Radio tab and uh, you'll have it all available there through SoundCloud. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.